Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of Tech Swamp. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What's up? Oh, you know, just membership chilling. <laughs> just chilling. Uh, and of course, myself, Alex. So today we're talking all things AppCon. Did I just say AppCon? Yes, I did. There are a lot of things that are different about 2020, and AppCon, of course, is one of them. We're still educating policy members on important issues like TV white spaces, privacy, platforms, and more, but the way we're doing it is 100% virtual. I mean, we are the App Association. You didn't think we'd skip our biggest member event of the year just because it couldn't be in real life, did you? Anyways, later this episode, we'll be joined by OG friend of the pod, Graham Dufault, to talk through our legislative priorities and what you can expect this AppCon. We'll also hear from some of our members who participated in the Congressional App Challenges Back to School webinar series, Download with Developers. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. August 26, 1984, 36 years ago this month, Miss Manners became anti-computer correspondence. That's right. Miss Manners, otherwise known as Judith Martin, is a well-known journalist and etiquette expert. A reader once wrote Miss Manners about a new realm of etiquette, asking if it's appropriate to write personal correspondence on a personal computer. Miss Manners replied the computers, like typewriters, are inappropriate for personal correspondence. She went on to warn readers that the recipient may confuse the letter for a sweepstakes entry, and even insinuated one could lose friends over it. Miss Manners now has several ebooks, a website, and uh, a Facebook and Twitter presence. Uh, so, lol, honestly. <laughs> and that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for what's brewing in DC. Caitlin and Brad, we know that DC is much slower in August, but can you fill us in on what bursts of activity are taking place inside the Beltway? Yes. So earlier this month, the House and Senate left DC without passing a COVID-19 relief stimulus bill, and the timeline moving forward isn't totally clear. Depending when the respective chambers return to the Capitol, we could see a bill signed as soon as September 10th, as late as September 23rd, and I guess theoretically never. <laughs> but all jokes aside, the House did go back into session over the weekend of August 22nd to pass a bill giving $25 billion in emergency funds to the U.S. Postal Service in an effort to reverse recent cost-cutting operational changes ahead of the 2020 election, where widespread mail-in voting is increasingly likely. Senate Republicans and the president have both signaled their opposition of the funds ahead of the Senate's vote slated to take place in September. We'll be sure to keep you posted in future episodes of TechSwamp. Not sure if you guys have heard of this app. It's called TikTok. <laughs> well, you may have heard of them, and you might know that they're actually in the hot seat. This all started earlier this month when President Trump signed an executive order declaring a national emergency that would effectively ban the use of the video sharing app. According to Trump, the app, which boasts 800 million active users across the world, has ties to China and has sparked privacy concerns. This ban led to several U.S. companies, including Microsoft and Oracle, to jump at an opportunity to buy the app. We're not sure what talks look like between TikTok and those interested in acquiring them, but we do know TikTok has moved forward with action of their own, a federal lawsuit against the Trump administration. With all these moving parts, it's hard to say what can be expected, but we do know something must shake out before the ban kicks in on September 20th. And rounding out what's brewing with our election updates, where we're checking back in with the polls. 
The most recent national polls show former Vice President Biden leading President Trump by 10 points. The Democratic National Convention took place last week where Biden and Senator Kamala Harris accepted their respective president and vice presidential nominations. The Republican National Convention is taking place as we speak and kicked off with President Trump and Vice President Pence accepting their nominations as well. What can we expect moving forward? The debates! (laughs) The first debate between President Trump and former Vice President Biden is slated to take place on September 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. We'll keep you posted in the tw- on the 2020 election in future episodes of TechSwamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. Amazing. As we mentioned earlier, today we're joined by OG FOTP, that's original friend of the pod, um, and Senior <laughs> Director for Public Policy, Graham Dufault, to talk through our policy priorities for AppCon 20 Virtual Edition. Hey, Graham, thanks for joining us on the pod. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. It is exciting. Um, so before we dive into the policy chats, let's talk about what members can expect in terms of how AppCon will be run this year. You know, COVID-19 has really cramped our style, uh, everyone's style really. And when it comes to holding large scale events, it's wildly complicated, but our members' voices and impact is so important. Um, so we couldn't just write off AppCon, that just wouldn't be right. Yeah, and especially when so many of the issues that we're talking about and have always championed, like broadband infrastructure and telehealth services are so crucial during the COVID-19 crisis. I mean, imagine like being stuck in your home with no access to internet, you can't work, you can't even have fun, you're truly, well, you can have fun, just not on the internet, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're truly totally cut off. And that's always been a reality for people, but now it feels like an emergency. Um, and we've also seen firsthand, though, on, on the positive side, how patients can benefit from telehealth visits during quarantine. It's been a huge game changer. Absolutely. And the COVID-19 pandemic has shined a special light on issues that we've always known exist and we've always worked really hard to fix. So before we go any further, Brad, can you kind of break down for our members what AppCon 20 is going to look like this year? Absolutely. You know, uh, doing it in a virtual way has both uh, upsides and downsides. I think one of the uh, blessings that comes with it is how we are able to split it, um, split it up across many weeks, you know, allowing each week to kind of own an issue uh, all all by itself rather than trying to stick them all into a four-day extravaganza. So, you know, the first week we're going to be able to cover broadband and then the next week health and then the next privacy and encryption, uh, following up with platforms and standard essential patents. Um, And that's going to be really nice to uh, be able to focus in really, uh, really hard on those issues one at a time. And it's also going to provide for a little bit shorter uh, briefing times, you know, during the traditional APCON. We dedicate an entire day of uh, hours upon hours of briefings to get uh, everyone caught up and up to speed on all of the issue areas. Um, But this is going to allow us to kind of do it in a couple hours at the beginning of every week uh, and get really deep into one issue. um, And that's going to be really cool. Uh, The meetings are also going to look a little bit different. We are going to go with more of uh, a round table feel this year. And I know Graham can kind of uh, elaborate on that as the the meeting extravaganza chairman, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, no, I yeah. Usually, when we have AppCon, we will have everybody go and see 
the member of Congress that represents them, senators that represent them. Um, and we just we realized that that was going to be logistically really tough to do um, in a virtual setting. And so, you know, what we wanted to do was try and make sure that we talked to the staffers who are working on the specific issues that we're going to cover during the particular week. Uh, and so what we came up with was uh, having a couple of roundtables per week, really, where we are drilling into the details a little bit more than, than maybe we would otherwise and gathering sort of committee staff and uh, staff of members that are really focused on the issues that we have worked with recently on specific issues and have a discussion where it's kind of interactive. And so we'll have a few member companies and we'll have a few staffers um, and have about 45 minutes or so to uh, have a dialogue about about the issue. And so we, that's how we wanted to structure it. And that just seems to work a little bit better than um, trying to do the one-off, one-on-one um, uh, series of constituent meetings that, like we have done um, in person in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's also going to lend itself to allowing uh, members and attendees to, you know, tap in and out of APCON while also continuing to kind of go, go about with their daily lives. You know, one thing that's going to be a little bit different this year as well, and it's kind of going to fill in for our standard end of the week uh, dinner celebration of all the progress that we've made throughout the week, is we are going to do a virtual happy hour. But it's going to be kind of cool because there is absolutely no pressure to attend, absolutely no pressure that if you do attend, you have to stay the entire time. No way. Uh, but we would love to chat with you for a second and, you know, get some feedback on the experience hear uh, from you what were the most exciting parts of your experience, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, one of the best parts about AppCon is getting to uh, talk with our members more, get to know you guys, uh, allow our members to get to know us better. Uh, and we're sure not going to miss out on that, even though it's virtual. Great. Um, all right, Graham, let's dive in. Um, can you give our listeners a little bit of a high-level preview of what we'll be chatting about over the next several weeks? And we can start maybe with week one. Absolutely. Um, week one is, uh, I don't have a favorite, but, you know, <laughs> but like week one is going to be especially fun because it is our broadband week. And during that week, we're, we're as, as you all mentioned at the beginning, we're going to have the briefing day on Monday where we talk for a couple hours. And then we will have a couple of roundtables uh, with Senate staff and House side staff. So the House side roundtable is going to feature a discussion with the Energy and Commerce Committee on the Republican and Democratic sides, and uh, some staff from some of the from from some of the member offices uh, that have been really active on the issue. Uh, and then we will have another roundtable with the Senate Commerce Committee, um, especially you know focusing on the Telecommunications Subcommittee staff there and then a couple other um, Senate offices that have been really, really active, again, on, on telecommunications issues and the, and the issues that uh, are most important for us. And so, um, you know, that those are going to be really fun roundtables where we're going to be able to talk about the really uh, important issues like 5G deployment um, and then, you know, 4G access 
uh, federal support for broadband. Um, and, uh, and then in addition to the congressional roundtables, we will have uh, FCC meetings, so Federal Communications Commission, and we'll be able to um, you know, have discussions with Chairman Ajipai's staff um, or the chairman himself if he's able to, to join, uh, and then the, the four other commissioners as well. And so um, we've done that in the past where we, were, we'll, we will have in-person meetings with the various commissioner offices, uh, and we're going to try to do that again this year virtually. The, the stuff we're going to focus on is uh, some, of the, some of the same issues that we've looked at in the past, and that, that's, um, you know, we're especially interested in making sure that 5G deployment happens quickly. And, um, you know, so far the agency has been on a good track. Congress has done a couple of things to ensure that there is spectrum available uh, for 5G and to ensure that localities are approving the siting of equipment and, and things like that, which, which are, you know, issue areas that we've been really focused on in the past. Uh, we'll continue to push on those on those issues when, when we have our meetings. Uh, but some of the sort of newer things include, you know, um, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic with additional uh, appropriated funds from Congress to make sure that there there is adequate resources for really like fast deployment of, of internet infrastructure uh, to the parts of the country and to the subscribers that currently don't have access to affordable options. Um, the two-part advocacy, I guess, it's number one, making sure that the FCC understands where the unserved parts of the country are, and that is uh, ensuring that Congress basically appropriates funds for them to um, update their mapping process. Um, you know, trying to make sure that the, they're actually being a little bit more granular and uh, focused with their broadband mapping is going to be really important as um, it's underappreciated how important that piece of it is because um, the maps kind of dictate where federal support goes um, and, and uh, you know, what gets the priority in, in uh, federal broadband policy. So on, on the TV white spaces piece of it, which is how could I forget TV white spaces? I was going to say um, a question on everyone's yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> TV white spaces, guys. Um, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's always been top of mind for us because, you know, for, for those who, for those who, you know, haven't uh, come out to D.C. every year and advocated on TV white spaces, the thumbnail sketch is this is um, the use of uh, spectrum in the broadcast TV band. So this is otherwise unused portions of that spectrum that's being um, allocated for broadband use, for internet use. And it is getting really close to um, finalizing the most recent rulemaking along these lines. Um, you know, our message to Congress is just going to be continue your oversight of the FCC, making sure that it continues to be on schedule um, because, you know, things like the TV white spaces, uh, proceeding uh, do have a tendency to kind of fall, uh, you know, in the priority list unless uh, Congress is, continues to keep pressure on the agency. Um, and so far, Congress has been really good about that. But, um, you know, uh, we want to make sure that, that they continue to do so. Totally. 
All right, so on to week two. Um, so for week two, we're slated to focus on discussions around healthcare policy. So we're going to talk payment for digital health tools, removing restrictions around reimbursement for digital health tools, interoperability, the Wear It Act, and getting Americans better access to telehealth tools. That is a lot. Um, so I think just to start, who are we going to be meeting with um, to sort of have these conversations? Yeah. That, so again, we're going to have a couple of uh, roundtable discussions with that kind of center on the committees that, that have primary jurisdiction over these issues. And, and those are going to be the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Energy and Commerce Committee, again, uh, the Senate Finance Committee, and then the Senate Help Committee. Uh, we're also going to try to schedule additional meetings with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services so that we'll have the agency um, uh, set of meetings as well. Uh, but here, again, we're going to be focusing on making sure that federal policy gets it right on um, connected health uh, apps and wearable devices uh, to ensure that, um, you know, with, with flex spending accounts especially, uh, these are the, the tax-free accounts that you can set aside from your paycheck uh, to pay for quote-unquote medical care. Um, and the Wear It Act is, is a bill that we developed that would ensure that wearable devices uh, and software that use physiologic data to, um, uh, to help you engage in preventive measures or manage a chronic disease um, or have other sort of life-saving capabilities like detecting AFib or uh, catastrophic fall de detection. Uh, uh, so the bill would just make sure that devices like that and, and software like that uh, are included in um, tax-free expenditures for, for flex spending accounts. Um, and, and, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that in, in, our, in our roundtable meetings. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other main thing I would say that we're going to be advocating on is um, telehealth. And telehealth is uh, a live voice and video call. And, you know, right now um, the, the law is, was written in the early 90s uh, and reflected a time when telehealth visits, live voice and video visits, really could only happen from another doctor's office. So the patient had to be in the doctor's office. Uh, in order for the telehealth visit to be conducted. Um, and there's still a statutory, you know, a, a legal restriction that says you have to be at an office and it has to be in a physician shortage area and it has to be in a rural area. Um, and certainly, certainly it can't be at your home. No way. Um, <laughs> not even, no, don't even think about it. Um, that would make way too much sense. <laughs> exactly. Or be way too easy. It would be way too easy. And so now we find ourselves with these devices that are capable of conducting a video call from wherever you are, wherever you happen to have a, a decent enough connection. Um, and it's way past time to update the statute. I think everybody's starting to come around to that, starting to realize that how ridiculous it is. Now that patients are being asked to stay home, don't come to the office. We'll do a, we'll do a telehealth visit. Um, the fact that Medicare doesn't even come, come close to covering um, the majority, the vast majority of telehealth visits um, you know, it's time to it's time to update the statute permanently uh, to reflect reality. Right. Okay. So on to week three, privacy and encryption. 
Um, we're going to be focusing on things like the need for end-to-end -end encryption and issues related to law enforcement access to data, including facial recognition. But who are we going to be talking to and what are some of the specifics um, that we're going to be filling our members in on? Yeah. Um, so, so here we're going to be focusing on a couple of, of committees that, uh, that have jurisdiction over both over privacy and then separately over crime issues. Uh, and so the privacy committees are going to be the House Energy and Commerce Committee, the Senate Commerce Committee, and then the the committees that have jurisdiction over over crime and, and the investigation of crimes uh, are uh, House Judiciary and Senate Judiciary. And then we'll try to um, set up meetings with, uh, you know, the, the White House and the Federal Trade Commission so that there's, um, you know, an administrative branch aspect of it. So on, on privacy, you know, for a couple of years, it, there's been a lot of pressure, I think, on Congress to try and develop a, a broad privacy bill that, that, uh, that regulates, you know, the, the private sector generally on, on privacy. And I think we're going to continue to make the case for Congress to enact something that is general and that sets a national set of rules so that um, we don't end up with a patchwork of state laws that sort of maybe conflict with each other or are at least hard to comply with all together all at the same time. Yeah, 50 uh, because, laws is too many. Probably, probably too many. Like even <laughs> even a couple, and and I don't know what's going to be next after California. Totally, um, it's um, it's hard to predict how it's going to look in in all the different states that are right now trying to think of different ways that they can handle privacy. So having a single set of requirements in place, there's a lot of value in it from a, a consumer protection perspective, especially if those uh, requirements are are strong and that they provide consumer rights like the you know the right to delete the right to um, the right to have access to any information a company has about you um, sort of the central rights that you see in GDPR um, done you know a, a little bit differently and in American law is is probably what we want to see and and so um, you know we're going to continue to to beat that drum and ensure that uh, Congress hears from from small companies on, on that issue. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the related issue, and, and you mentioned this, um, encryption is extremely important for us as well. And, you know, that will be an interesting couple of meetings because um, there's been a lot of interest from Congress in making, um, making it easier for law enforcement agencies to access encrypted communications, encrypted data. And so we have a lot of concerns with that because if you make it easier for law enforcement to access encrypted communications, then you make it easier for anybody to access those communications or that content or whatever it is that's that's private and that's being stored or, or sent uh, over the internet. Um, and so, you know, I, th I think our message will be, be very careful about how you cra craft these measures Make sure that you're not doing it in a way that um, makes it harder to protect uh, sensitive personal data. Uh, and um, certainly uh, the, the message is also that, um, uh, you know, making it easier for law enforcement also makes it easier for bad actors. Um, and, uh, you know, 
that's just the, a technical reality rather than a, a policy reality, I think. Totally. Um, so then rounding out for the last week of AppCon 20, um, minus uh, there is sort of like a catch-all week that's week five um, that yeah. will be sort of where, you know, any meetings we can't get scheduled during the actual week will happen or meetings that sort of need to cover a couple different policy areas. Um, but the last week of, um, or the last official week of AppCon 20, um, we're going to be covering standard central patents and platforms. So since most of our listeners are familiar with our online platform work, thanks to the last few episodes of TechSwamp, let's focus on um, standard central patents. Um, but you know, similarly, who can our members expect to chat with and kind of high level, what are we going to be discussing? Yeah, um, so so the the meetings are going to be again with the House Judiciary and Senate Judiciary Committees, um, and we're going to focus on the antitrust subcommittee staff because our message to <clears throat> to those subcommittees um, and then also the the agency folks, so the Federal Trade Commission, um, is going to be that uh, antitrust law does have a role to play in ensuring that. Standard essential patent owners are not abusing those standard essential patents. And what is a what is a, a standard essential patent? I you know, there I'm sure that we've talked about SEPs um, here and there on, on the podcast, but um, it it probably sounds like a like a far flung idea uh, to folks that are just kind of new new to the concept. But they're really central to a lot of the stuff we do because. Uh, uh, standards are, are things that include like Wi-Fi, 4G, 5G, um, USB for a hardware standard. Uh, th these are all kind of stepping stones on which uh, people are able to, to build really cool and innovative devices and, um, and apps. So it's kind of the, the road uh, that uh, a lot of innovation has to travel uh, to get to the end user. And the, the problem arises where if you've got a patent and you decide, well, I want to make it essential to a standard. I want to get it adopted as part of you know, 5G or 4G. Um, you know, when, when you do that, you uh, acquire for yourself like market power. The, the patent gains a bunch of value. And you can say you know, uh, um, that anybody that is going to implement the standard 4G, let's say it's 4G, and, make, and build a device that is capable of connecting to 4G, you got a license from me, the patent owner. Um, you know, and so it absolutely does uh, give you a little bit extra market power um, uh, when you have an, a patent adopted as, as part of a standard. And so <clears throat> that's a really important concept. And you know, folks have to know in Congress that this is really a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and, and there you have it, AppCon 20 Virtual Edition. Um, you know, five weeks, so many exciting things coming your way. Uh, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for more information about AppCon. Um, and if you're interested in joining us, email the membership team and let us know. Even on late notice, we'd love to do what we can to get you into these meetings. As promised earlier, we're featuring some of the great perspectives from our members who participated in the Congressional App Challenge Download with Developers webinar. But before we dive into all the good stuff, I'm going to run through the panel lineup. And of course, you can find more info on these men and women in our show notes. And we're also going to provide a link to the actual webinar, which will be hosted on YouTube. Um, and we'll be sure to include that link in the show notes as well.
Um, so panelists included Greg Haygood, CTO of member company Southern DNA, Katie Miller, who's the program director of SC Codes, Chris Sims, CEO and chief product owner of Sagayo Studios, and Kiana Stewart, founder, CEO, and principal consultant of Global Force Tech Consulting, as well as the nonprofit arm Global Force for Girls. So the panel kicked off by asking our members what they wanted to share as kind of important things to keep in mind as students and other folks who are interested in joining the app economy continue to work on their coding and developer skills. I'm not going to mince words anymore, and we're going to dive right into what they said. The important part um, when you're involved in a technological environment is to really see yourself as a part of that process, right? So a lot of times we think of ourselves as an extension of it, but not as um, a component of it. Um, and team building, working with each other, um, sharing ideas, innovating together, all of those are, are attributes that I think help to enhance technology and help to enhance us as individuals um, as we're learning and, and growing and developing in, in, in technology as well. Programming is this, this, you know, you spend hours and hours and hours fighting and struggling with the code, trying to get it to do what it wants. And then you have that moment when it comes through and it clicks and you get it and it works and you, you solve this really big, hard problem. That's what you're doing, but you should always be at that point. Kind of like Chris's is I didn't go out and solve my own problems. Um, I lucked into uh, my first job was with a marketing agency and we were solving other people's problems. They would come to us and say, I don't know how to do X. You know, I'm trying to do this. I'm running into problems. Um, and I thrived on solving those problems. Um, I didn't have to go find them. They just came to me. Um, you know, at first it was salespeople bringing it to our agency. Um, but then even after starting Southern DNA, just being out there to be able to help other people solve their problems. Um, cause that's, um, sometimes even more gratifying than, um, you know, getting the code working just right is seeing the impact that you can have on somebody else's business. You know, our members kicked off the panel with some really interesting stuff, you know, from talking about the importance of critical thinking as a developer to building the right kind of team with the right people. We then transitioned into talking about some really fascinating stuff. We heard from Katie Miller on how orgs like SC Codes works to educate and place folks into these technical fields. We also heard how Chris and the folks at Sagayo Studios have had opportunities despite the complications linked to the COVID-19 crisis. But you can hear about all that by going to the link in the show notes and tuning into the webinar. We're going to end member minutes with our panelists answering our favorite question. If you knew, th knew then what you know now, what would you do different? As a non-techie, my first thing would have been to tell my younger self, learn to code. Um, <laughs> I know it's not too late for me. But it would have been, um, you know, definitely something that had I known now how this industry just continues to grow and all of the opportunities, it's a skill everyone should have. Um, I waited a long time to start out on my own um, doing the nine to five thing. Agencies, so nine to five for an agency is different, but still um, thought, you know, took a long time for me to get around to being comfortable with like, oh, no, I, I can make a full successful career on my own. I don't need to clock in for, you know, a nine to five job anywhere. Um, it can, I would also tell my younger self, 
uh, not to listen to folks who told me that I was too much of something, right? So I was too bossy, I was too uh, precocious, I was too aggressive, I was too ambitious. Uh, I would definitely tell my younger self to, to take in that information, to again, analyze it, synthesize it, process it, but not hold on to it because to Greg's point, you know, I could have been the CEO of six companies by now had I not been, um, you know, sort of uh, encouraged, as Katie was mentioning, you know, as as, a, as a, a girl and as, you know, as a black girl, not to to be those things, right? And so some of those same attributes that folks tell you as women that we shouldn't, you know, uh, tout are the very thing that are beneficial to me um, in the role of CEO of this company, right? Uh-huh. I mean, ditto to what Kiana says, for absolutely sure. Um, keep yourself open to new experiences and being in the place where you're terrified. Because in those places where we're terrified and we do it anyway, we find that courage to make it through, even when you know you, you don't belong there, that's where we grow. And now it's time for our random identifier. Brad, what do you have for us? All right, so I am back in the reading game right now uh, after a little brief absence from that life. Um, (laughs) And I'm reading yet another rock memoir, this one from Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Let me tell you, it's a a very crazy book. Um, (laughs) a, A kid who moved to Los Angeles to live with his pretty much junky dad when he was a very young teenager. It's it's a tremendous story to read with a lots of yeah. lots of pitfalls and unfortunately drug addiction, but very very interesting. Yeah, fun fact he's Greek. Yeah, and another fun fact, he is from Michigan originally. Oh, that is a fun <laughs> fact. I didn't know that. I always assumed he was definitely California. Um I learned something today. <laughs> Caitlin <to> <laughs> Caitlin, what is going on in your world? Um, I am struggling with random identifier this week. I really have not, or this month, I have, I can't think of anything, and it's disturbing me. Um, so the only thing I guess I can talk about um, is my plants. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have some propagations that I'm excited about, um, including some like succulent leaves that have fallen off and then started to like get their own little buds on them so I can soon repot those. Um, Brad hooked it up for me and gave me a propagation of the electric lime plant he has. Um, I will admit that I did mistreat the cutting when it was given to me accidentally. I well, it was given to me on purpose. I accidentally mistreated it, but basically, I left the cutting in a plastic bag in my purse for probably seventy-two hours, maybe forty-eight. Um, I thought it was a total lost cause, but then I just like clipped the bottom off of the propagation mm-hmm. um, so that it was like a fresh stem again. Put it in water. The stems um, and the uh, not the stems. The the roots are growing really strong. I think I can like repot this propagation in maybe a week or less. So. Shout out to Brad. Thank you for the propagation. This has been Caitlin's plant update for the month. It's really great. (laughs) It's really (laughs) wonderful to hear about all of the great stuff that both of you are doing with plants because I am not having that level of success with my own plants. And so to hear (laughs) that at least somebody can take care of a plant makes me feel great. Um, (laughs) This is not actually my random identifier. My random identifier, we don't have to go into this. However, what I want to talk about is the fact that um, Netflix is really like bringing back the genre that I like to call teen dance movie. Um, 
it started way back when I was younger um, with movies like Save the Last Dance and Center Stage. And um, Caitlin reminded me of Honey, which is another one like this. And then like Step Up. And these are sort of movies that like sort of revolve around dance, but also there's always a romance. And also like somebody is always sort of having to save like a dance studio or like make money for school or like prove themselves in some way. Um, and they're wearing low rise jeans while they're doing often. That. Well, in the 2000s. And so now <laughs> we're in, you know, the, the 2020s. Um, and this like craze is coming back via Netflix and there are several that are out. Some are better than others. Obviously I've watched almost <laughs> all of them. Um, and I think there are a couple things that just have to be mentioned. The first is that they all involve modern dance in some way. And I don't know what made modern dance cool, but, um, it is very cool. Apparently, um, maybe TikTok, maybe TikTok. Ooh. I think it was also that show, Charlie D'Amelio. It was also that show that, um, people used to do. That's like a game show kind of, and you were like dance. So, so you, you think, think you can dance. dance that one. They always did a modern dance thing. <laughs> and I think it really like made it a popular form of dance. So it's not all hip hop, I guess is my point. Um, Anyway, it's really great, and everyone should go watch them. And um, I'll probably report back again on this because, like, really, I love the teen dance movie. It matters to me personally. How many did you say you had watched? I watched. Oh God, three! I watched three. Three out of how many? I think there's five. Well, well, we will await. Oh your yeah, update. I'm gonna watch all five. One looks almost <laughs> too bad to watch, but I'm probably gonna watch it anyway. But I'm not there yet. I have to have like a night where I'm so painfully bored that there's nothing else that we'll do. So really any night this <laughs> yeah, week because we're in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who has composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. That's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.